Welcome to another episode of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, your home for the latest news and analysis from the world of college hoops. Back again are your hosts, Josh Burton, Phil Dexter, and Peyton Burton. What is up, you guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 131. I'm, of course, your host, Josh Burton, and joining me today is my teammate, Peyton Burton. Peyton, it is a cold and snowy afternoon here in Indiana. Well, it just sums up my week of uh, being sick. Um, Tuesday, we went to the Butler-Clayton game, got a knockoff of uh, a big-time uh, college basketball arena off of my uh, bucket list, uh, being at Hinkle Free House, which we'll probably talk about that in a little bit. Amazing experience, had a lot of fun. But as soon as I got back, as soon as we got back from doing that, fucking Wednesday through even today, like, I've been sick. Um... Couple of my, a couple of my family members had strep throat. I don't think I had that, thank God, but I think I just had a common cold. And then I wake up this sun, this uh, Sunday morning, look out my window, and I find fucking snow. So it's, it's not pretty for me, and plus Kansas went 0-2 after I said they were going to go 2-1. So it's not yeah, a good week for me, man. Yeah, we're going to get into Kansas, but um, yeah, like I don't know. After the Butler game, I was kind of ill too. Did not feel well. The whole body aches, tiredness, all that. Then I wake up today and sinuses are hurting. So we're going to power through it, though. Peyton, you mentioned the Butler game. Let's go ahead and jump into that before we get into some other opening topics. Uh, At Hinkle Fieldhouse for Butler Creighton. And we got to see Creighton, who was our preseason Big East team of the year, to win the conference, uh, a potential Final Four team. They slumped after Maui. But what we've seen on Tuesday night in Hinkle Fieldhouse looks like a team that is starting to put it back together that could make a serious run. They are big in person. I mean, if you haven't seen Ryan Kalkbrenner in person, he is massive. And so is Baylor Shireman. That dude is huge in person. Yeah, uh, I don't have the stats on me right now, but watching that game, I think it was a tale of two halves. You know, first shot, they kind of struggled, which I think that's credit to Thad Mata and their defense. I thought uh, Butler's rotational defense was very solid. Uh, Clayton wasn't really hitting any shots. Um, took him a while to finally get going. But once Nimhard started to hit some shots, Shireman had it a very efficient night. Not sure how many points he had. I know definitely double digits, but he had some threes. Um, all of his shots he took, it seemed like good shots. Like, none of them all were of four. Them. Um, all, of all of them pretty much hit the back of the net, didn't touch the rim at all. And Ryan Cockburn, he's the difference maker. He's the reason that um, this is the team that we saw at the Maui tournament when them Arizona went f- back, went from uh, back and forth in that Maui tournament final. Uh, they can get it done. Hey, he, he's Cockburn bringing back is if, huge if, on if offense is, and defense. If this is the team that we see, absolutely they can get it done because I was super impressed with a guy like Trey Alexander. I thought he had an outstanding game. He was so good. And you got to give a lot of credit to Creighton's uh, switch to defense because the paint was clogged the whole night. Butler could not get anything. And then when they did get into the paint, guys like Chuck Harris had a bad night. The guy I was really impressed with from Butler was uh, Shimus Lukokis, or Lukokis, Lukosius, if I can Lukosius. speak. Lukosius, yeah. Yeah, Seamus Lukosius. Um, he carried Butler. He was really their only offense. 
Yeah, I mean, he had some tough shots. Uh, he wanted to run there himself. With. I think uh, I think Hunter got a block, and then he kicked it out to him in transition. He went and got an and one. Uh, this kid's talented. He can score. Very impressed with him. And you mentioned Chuck Kalis. He's one of our top 50 players in our magazine this year. And um, did not play well. Uh, he didn't. I think it's Creighton's defense, but he didn't hit any shots. Like, he was very passive in that first half, and when he finally started to get aggressive, just nothing was falling for him. So, off night for him. Yeah, did you see the worldly that uh, Marcus Rashford just scored to put Man United up 1-0 in Arsenal? He's, what? speaking of killing it, he's been killing yeah, it. Yeah, what a, what a goal. I mean, there's big-time implications in the Premier League. But, no, shout-out to Butler. Um, that place, especially in the first half, was super loud, energetic when Butler was still in the game. Creighton's just so good. Shout out to the, the members of the Creighton media staff that we sat by and met. Uh, good people, man. If you haven't been to Hinkle for a game, I suggest you go on there. Joining us now on the show is our other co-host and friend of the show, Corey Gardner. Corey, can you hear us? Yeah, I got you guys. Uh, right on, man. We were just talking about our experience at Butler to kind of open the show up. Um, Hinkle, Hinkle Magic's a real deal, man. But, hey, let's talk about, obviously, man, I, we're a couple minutes in the show. I had mentioned, obviously, this show is brought to you by um, Beauty to Beast Nutrition, located in downtown Edinburgh, Indiana. It's a healthy juice bar. You, you guys know the deal. Stop in for your healthy teas, your protein coffees, and all that. Tell them ECB sent you for 10% off your entire purchase. Also, this podcast is presented by House Enterprise in part with the House College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com, for more information. A lot of great writers over there, good teammates over there in the road to the garden, the House College Hoop folks, the Flex, the, the Providence podcast, which Providence is popping this year again. So a lot of good stuff. Head over to house-enterprise.com for all that. But a couple things I want to get out of the way here at the top of the show, uh, besides the Butler deal that we went to. Let's follow up. Last week, we ended the show with a little bit of recruiting news. We talked about Ian Jackson was going to make his decision. I said that Sunday night, it ended up being Mondays when he made the decision. But we all said he's pretty much going to Kentucky. But he pulled a swerve and ended up going to North Carolina. Peyton, you're the recruiting guy. Talk to us about Ian Jackson's decision to go to North Carolina over Kentucky. Uh, I think it probably maybe fits him a little bit more going down to North Carolina. I know myself included. I mean, we all, you know, myself, Josh, and Phil last week said that he was going to go to Kentucky. Haven't really heard too much. Haven't really kept up too much in date with his recruiting process and who was in the running and who was not. But the fact that he's going to North Carolina doesn't surprise me. I mean, he's the second five-star that they got for the next year for the 2024 class. He joins uh, five-star point guard Elliot Cadeau. Um number one point guard in the country, and he's number two. So it's uh, they got a stacked recruiting class coming in for 2024, and I think it's going to get even better. Two five-stars, two four-stars now. It's the number one class in 2024 recruiting rankings, according to uh, 247sports.com. Um, Big-time get for Hubert Davis, and uh, it kind of surprising, definitely. Um, but so here, here's the deal. I'm sorry, Peyton, but here's no, the deal what I understand. For a long time, he was a Kentucky lean, and – he actually had been quoted something along the lines like he knows he's going to be a one and done and Kentucky's a one and done factory. But he was allowed to go visit North Carolina and he said that felt like home to him with Hubert Davis and company. So I feel like that home feeling like home end up winning out. But nonetheless, good, good recruiting win for North Carolina, a big time player. So cats will be have to back, will have to be back on the board for a 2024 athlete. Hey, I want to talk about a couple other things real quick. Let's start with the Mike Bray situation. 
And the reason I say situation is it came out earlier this last week that he has announced through the school that he will, at the end of this year, he will be retiring. He's in his 23rd year at Notre Dame. He is their all-time wins leader, passing Digger Phelps. He's currently at 481 wins. Back in 2015-2016, he goes to back-to-back Elite Eights with Notre Dame. Honestly, could have uh, ended that Kentucky undefeated run in the Elite Eight before Wisconsin did in the Elite Eight. Some great Notre Dame teams revolutionized the offensive game for a long time. Hell of a head coach. The reason I say it's a situation, because in the last weeks leading up to the retirement announcement, there had been rumors on Twitter that people had been saying that Notre Dame was going to fire Mike Bray, which none of us believed, but he's announced his retirement. So I'm asking you guys, do you feel like this is a situation where the AD and the athletic department went to Mike Bray and said, listen, we love you. You've been amazing for us, but we're ready to move on. So we will give you the option of retiring on your own terms rather than firing you. I would like to think that's the truth, just out of respect to him, because he's been great down there at Notre Dame. But if you look at their loss, if you look at their roster this year and the record, they're nine and eleven. And I thought they was going to be a sleeper team in the ACC. They got a top fifteen recruit in JJ. Um, I can't even think of his fucking last name right now. But they got a top 15 recruit. Uh, they got Dane Goodwin, who came back as a grad senior. A lot of grad seniors. He got an experienced team with a top 15 freshman. There's no way that they should be 9-11 and 11 right now. They've lost six of the last seven games. And I think they've lost... In the last, like, ten games, it looks like they've won two games out of those. They've been in a massive losing streak. And yeah, they just not don't getting ha- any better. Yeah, they just don't have any more. Corey, I want to hear your thoughts. But before you do, Peyton, Eddie, and Ketia just tied it up for Arsenal. Jesus. Hell yeah. Keep, sc- keep scoring goals. Fuck it. Let's have a classic game <laughs> in the Premier League. Corey, your thoughts on the Mike Bray deal? Yeah, I think uh, I think that was something that, you know, was behind closed doors of the athletic department. Um, you know, I think, you know, Peyton kind of touched on that they had the experience. They had some of the younger talent that came in. I think, uh, you know, the the college athletic scene is always changing and stuff like that. And there's times where, you know, it starts to bypass coaches up. And I think it's at that point where for Mike Bray, it was just kind of there. And I think uh, I think Notre Dame was looking to kind of, you know, go to a newer age of stuff. I mean, they've had some coaching changes in other athletic sports. I think it was time uh, that they kind of were looking at this one and kind of, you know, didn't want to do him, you know, dirty, but, you know, kind of letting him go after a long tenure. But I think uh, I think it was something that they kind of said, all right, it's time for you to, uh, you know, kind of kind of hit the sunset. So. So with that, a couple other things on this, obviously, now that the Notre Dame job is going to be open, the carousel rumors have begun and two names have stood out. And I'm going to add a third name who I think fits in very well. And I want to hear you guys' thoughts. The two names that the national media are really pushing for that sound they feel like makes sense are Pat Kelsey from Charleston. Obviously, Pat Kelsey seems ready to make the jump from Charleston to a big-time D1 school. He can coach. We know the whole deal. The other name is Porter Mosier from Oklahoma because he spent all those years at Loyola Chicago, which is a Catholic school. He has the Chicago ties, which South Bend is nearby, and they feel like he could make that jump and make things work in Notre Dame. So before I give you my third name, what are your thoughts on those two potential names? 
Uh, I'm loving the Pat Kelsey hire. I think he, they should be. I think that should be the number one option uh, for this Notre Dame job. Um, hell of a coach. He's doing great right now at Charleston. And uh, if he goes down to Notre Dame, I think he's be able to continue the success. He's used to playing in the ACC conference. He was an assistant coach uh, at Wake Forest for a couple of years, so he's used to kind of to this conference. And uh, I think he'd do a great job down there. Yeah, I think uh, I think Pat Kelsey is going to be a high commodity uh, this off season. I think the coaching carousel is going to be absolutely wild, wild west this year as well. Um, you know, I, I don't know if Notre Dame has enough to really pull uh, from Oklahoma, but I think uh, I think Pat Kelsey is going to be a, a huge, a huge go after for Notre Dame. And I'm going to throw in my third name, who I think to me fits the billing of what Notre Dame, because Notre Dame's not going to get a tier one, tier two, maybe even a tier two coach. So they're going to have to go probably the mid-major route or a high major assistant. I like the idea of Dusty May from Florida Atlantic because he's an Indiana kid. He was he uh, spent time at the, or Indiana University as the student manager, and you've seen what he's been able to do at Florida Atlantic. They've got, they're what, 17, 18, and one right now in Conference USA, which is a mid-major he obviously knows the area. He can recruit, you would think, at Notre Dame. And he's a damn good younger coach. I feel like Dusty May at Notre Dame. Again, it's not going to be a tier one, tier two. Some people might even look at Dusty May as like a tier three coach. But I think that's the route Notre Dame basketball is going to have to go. It's not like their football team where they have all this tradition. I think they're going to have to go to a mid-major more than likely. And I like Dusty May up there because of all the things I just said. What are you guys saying about potentially Dusty May at Notre Dame? I think it would be an interesting scenario, but here's the thing with like being a, trying to get a Tier 1 coach or even a Tier 2 coach. like I don't think that's going to happen because I seen um, a little bit earlier when I was looking at some stuff that people were talking about Chris Holtman being the running. But I don't know why would a guy like Chris Holtman would leave Ohio State for Notre Dame because it's – I don't know if people well, understand this or not, but it's so difficult to get actual transfers that's not grad transfers into Notre Dame just because they have to go to class, and that's probably the number yep. one priority besides basketball. If you yep. look at this Notre Dame roster – 13 kids on this roster. Six of them are grad students or grad transfers. Well, that's so, a, that's a great ahead. point because I think there's that rule. I don't know if it's a Notre Dame rule or a Mike Bray rule or maybe both where they don't take just regular transfer portal. You have to be a grad transfer. If you yeah. take one. So it makes it much harder. That's a great point. That's, that's a, a Notre really, Dame rule. Yeah. Uh, okay. So it is Notre Dame rule. Yeah. That's a great point. So you're, you're limited in the transfer portal. You have to really recruit the high school kids the old school way. That's, that's yeah, a great yeah. point. Yeah, no, it's a hundred percent. I mean, Notre Dame just being the high academic, you know, prestigious school. Also, I mean, throws in a huge wrench of the kind of kid that you can get accepted and kind of kid you can recruit and stuff. Also, those are great points. But nonetheless, Mike Bray retiring at the end of the year. Like I said, twenty three seasons now at Notre Dame. Couple back to back Elite Eights in 2015, 2016. Uh, great coach. I, I wonder if he takes a couple years off and ends up trying to come back at a different school. It'd be very interesting to see. Um, I, I know a team in Kentucky that could use him as an offensive-minded coach. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> hey, uh, I do have one one coach that you know. What do you think of uh, you know former Indiana assistant, former Michigan State assistant, Dan and on five? the free agent band five? Yep. Uh, man, there's no offense to Dane. Because I think, obviously, Dane as an assistant coach is A+. But I'm wondering if Dane Fife isn't like Kenny Payne right now as far as – because he, he was okay at IPFW. But I think there's a reason he went back to Michigan State as an assistant. Um, 
I, I just don't know if the Notre Dame job, like if you told me Dane Five could get another school like IPFW, then yeah, I think it could work. But I don't know if Dane Fife works at Notre Dame. Well, I got another name. What about Micah Shrewsbury from Penn State? That's a good name. If he wants to leave, though. Yeah. If he wants to leave. I mean, look at his offense. Penn State's in the top 10 in the nation in three-point shooting and three-point percentage shots. I mean, Notre Dame, under Mike Bray, I mean, they've played the burn offense where they use a lot of shot clock. But historically, under Mike Bray, they shoot a lot of threes. So that could be interesting. That could be real interesting. Um, so we'll have to keep an eye on this coaching carousel. Notre Dame is going to be a, de- or a, a fairly good job opening up in the ACC. Uh, going to attract some people, probably like I said, in the mid-major or guys on the hot seat at other high majors. It's going to be real interesting. We'll keep an eye on throughout the whole course of the year. If they make a, a go-ahead hire before the season's over or wait until right after the season and see what they do. Um, Let's go to another thing. Guys, we've been, Peyton, you know this. You and I have been blowing this kid up for four years now. Well, almost five because he's a fifth-year senior with COVID. But just yesterday, Antoine Davis from Detroit Mercy went to number two all-time in NCAA men's scoring history, passing Freeman Williams. Antoine Davis is at 3,274 career points. He is only... Just a little shy of 400 points behind Pistol Pete Maravich's 36-67. Now, I never, a guy who knows my history of basketball, who studies Pistol Pete, who back in sixth grade watched a video on Pistol Pete, who knows this game inside and out, I never, ever thought that this record would be under attack, especially in the modern game, because... Guys just don't say it long enough. They do. They're not this big-time prolific scorer. And I know, again, he's got this fifth year because of COVID, but that's not his fault. Antoine Davis coming off back-to-back 40-point games. I I did the math. To tie Pistol Pete's record, he's got 11 games minimum left, 10 in the regular season, guaranteed at least one in the conference tournament. In those 11 games, if he averages 35.7 points a game, he will tie the 36-67. And that's not including if he has a game where he goes off for like 60. So what do we think of Antoine Davis moving to number two all-time in career scoring and the idea that somebody could actually break Pistol Pete's all-time scoring mark? Go ahead, Coy. I think, no, I mean, don't get me wrong. He's an amazing scorer. You know, he's done huge things. Um I just think the, you know, the overall record, you know, it almost is like he's going to have an asterisk beside him just because of the fifth year, and it's nothing against him. It's nothing against the game, but it's like, you know, that the COVID fifth year is helping shatter a lot of records that overall shouldn't be touched, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Uh, some records are made to not be broken. I think this is one of them. I don't think this record's going to be broken. I mean, he has 11 games to do it, but he's definitely capable of doing it, but... I think he could do it in probably like seven games if he fucking played IUPUI every fucking game, but he can't. He has to play teams like Oakland and Youngstown State and Purdue Fort Wayne coming up here soon. So he's talented enough to do it. I just don't think he's going to be able to. I, I I'm telling you right now, I'm hoping he gets it. Or I hope he at least gets super close because oh, we've been we, we've been on his bandwagon for years now since basically started this podcast. And Antoine Davis, I'm telling you, can he average 35-7? I mean, that seems like a very tall mark. But he's a scorer, man. 
He's going to get – I mean, yesterday in the game, he went for 42 points, 8 of 18 for 3. So he's going to get his shots up, and if he's got nice where he, they're falling, man, um, Antoine Davis is going to put a real assault down the back end of this season on that record. And, and a lot of people are upset, like a lot of the old heads, and I get it. Uh, we have some comments on the Facebook group. You know, Pete did his in three years. No three-pointers. Eurostep BS. Freshman couldn't play back then. David's done well. Blah, but given the two extra years, it shouldn't count. Guys, what do you want him to do? These are the rules. These are the rules. I mean, what do you want him to do? So they just say, oh, well, I guess I shouldn't break it because these are the rules now compared to them? I mean, come on now. Like, some of these people, I understand, like, their points, and they do, do make good points. But some people just sound like haters and that just want to discourage any th- anybody who's new school breaking anybody's old school record. That's all this sounds like. I mean, they just sound like a bunch of haters. No, you're always going to have the new school versus old school people. And, I mean, it's the same thing in every sport. I mean, it's like, you know, people don't want to see records, you know, changed and stuff like that. That's the biggest problem. Well, the biggest problem this week, Peyton, as you mentioned at the top of the show, um, your boys Kansas went over um, this week. Kansas State and TCU absolutely embarrassed them in Allen Fieldhouse. We'll get to both here, but I want to take a look real quick at the Big points. 12. 23 yeah, points. We'll, we'll get to, to it. Out. Yeah, we'll get to it. But I want to take a look at the Big 12 Conference real quick because as we sit here on Sunday, January 22nd, K-State's now in the overall lead. They're at 6-1. and one. You've got a couple teams, Kansas, Texas, Iowa State at five and two, Baylor and TCU's at four and three, Oklahoma State three and four, Oklahoma two and five, West Virginia one and six, Texas Tech 0 oh and seven. They're, they're winless in conference play. If you look at Ken Palm on the offensive and defensive efficiency numbers ranked in the conference, you can kind of tell the story of Kansas here because we mentioned it last week. Kansas has played a lot of close games. They've, at the time, they came out victorious in them. You look at these numbers for Kansas. Let's look at the offense, man. They Their best offensive category in the conference, they're third in three-point shooting at 36.6%. Uh, but everything else, they're ninth in two-point percentage. Inside the arc, they're shooting 47.4%. They're only better than one other team, that's Oklahoma State, and two-point field goals. Uh, you look at Kansas as well. You've got their offensive rebound percentage, their seventh in conference, only getting 29.6% of possessions in offensive rebounds. They are uh, sixth in effective field goal percentage, shooting right at 50%. You go down the defense, the defense is a little bit better. They're fourth in defensive efficiency, uh, but they're dead last in the conference in defending a three-point shot. Teams are shooting a crazy 37.4% against Kansas from the three-point line. Peyton. Not just these two games, but you look at the story of Kansas. Is it high tide that the lack of true interior play that Bill Self likes, is that starting to come back on them? Or is it more that just Jalen Wilson's not getting help because the dude is going nut. He's not getting a whole lot of help. I think it's a mix of both. Uh, Jalen Wilson, he's fucking 38 points a career high against Kansas State at Kansas State and what does he do the game after that in the TCU guess what he has 30 points 21 of those was in the first half I mean he definitely needs some help also we got to hit some shots and we got to stop them from hitting shots stop uh, the opposing team from hitting shots too man Uh, defensively I think we're still good but we just we get in these ruts especially offensively that we uh 
there's a time and point where in the first half when TCU was making the run, they started getting, they got it to like, I think, 33 to 13 at one point. Kansas went five minutes without scoring the basketball, without scoring a single bucket. Can't do that. Can't do it in the regular, you can't do it in non-conference playing, you definitely can't do it in the Big 12 Conference. You can't go scoreless for five minutes straight. You got to get some, uh, find a way to score some buckets and take care of the ball, because that's another thing. Dwayne Harris, love the kid. I still think he's probably the best point guard in the country. He's la- These last few games, he's not been the greatest. And I think a lot to do, he had 13 assists against Kansas State. He had eight assists against uh, TCU, three turnovers in that game. But his biggest problem is, I see a lot of Trey Jones in his game. Josh, when Trey Jones came back for his sophomore year, I was harping on this kid. Like, bro, you got to go score some. You got to go score. Yep. You can't just be a defender. You are a great defender, and at the time he was. But you got to find a way to put the ball in the basket somewhere and look to score. And I see, I see a lot of the same problems in Harris. So many times we'll run that pick and roll action with him and KJ Adams, and he would teams would start to leave him wide open, and he just won't shoot it. Shoot a damn floater. Like, you got the talent to do so. You don't well, always have to kick it to Jalen Wilson or kick it to Grady Dick. Look to score. Get yours. Well, well to your point, Bill Self said so. He told, he. Um, I think it was after the press conference yesterday after TCU loss. He told Juan, he told, well, he told the media that he told Juan, he said, dude, you got to go try to score more. Three points against Kansas State's not going to cut it, even though the 11 assists are tremendous. But keep in mind, a couple weeks ago, we were raving on Dewan Harris's improved three-point shooting. He yeah. had that game, uh, whoever it was, Texas they were on Tech. the Texas Tech game, where he went five of five from three. Yeah. And if you don't, if as a point guard, if you don't look to score or don't have the ability to score the ball, it makes defenses ha- play so much easier against your team because you're essentially playing five versus four. The, the whoever's guarding you doesn't have to guard you. He can sag off, dare you to shoot, and play cut action, double team in the post, double team drives, whatever it may be. As a point guard, you have to be at least a threat to score to keep the defense honest. And uh, Bill Self told Dewan Harris that himself. We're shooting, you mentioned we're shooting 36.1% from three, but my biggest downfall and my biggest worry about this Kansas team is consistently hitting shots uh, beyond the arc besides Grady Dick. And he's not even shooting the ball well these past two games. He went, I think, two and eight last night against TCU or yeah, something like that. And one uh, and eight against uh, K-State with a foul out. And it looks like he's at that freshman wall right now. Yeah, um, he's struggling hitting some shots, and he's getting open looks. Uh, there's sometimes like he'll, he got wide open last night one time where we saw him make the comeback, and he just missed it, completely missed it. Um, need him to get going. But, yeah, Jalen Wilson, I think it's a little bit of both. We need to stop teams from shooting the ball well, and uh, Jalen Wilson needs at least one guy. And I think that guy needs to be either Dwan Harris or Kevin McCuller because McCuller has two passes for my liking. He has the ability to score. He has the ability to score. He did it at Texas Tech last season, and he did it in like the first like five to seven games um, to start the year this year. But I, I think he's he's a hit a wall as well because he's not he's not looking to shoot, and he, he can do it. No points and a foul out at the Kansas State game. Corey, before we get to your your thoughts, we'll we'll focus real quick on the K State game before we move to TCU. But Peyton, another guy that's been super disappointing since coming over last year, and that's Joseph Yesifu. I, we thought this kid coming over from Drake was a big-time scorer because he was at Drake. Didn't really play much last year. Didn't really contribute. This year, he's playing a little bit more. I um, mean, he had 22 minutes against K-State. 
He had five points. He only took five shots. This is a kid that's got scoring in his DNA. We've seen it at his other stop at Drake, but man, he is just not producing. No, he's not. He's shooting 30% from the three-point line. Um, Got to be able to hit some shots. Um, yeah, I don't know about him. I, defensively, I think he's solid, but I think he gives up a little bit too much on the defense side of the ball as well. He plays hard. I'll give him that. He plays hard. Him and Bobby Pettiford both play hard. But someone in the backcourt needs to step up, whether it's McCullough, Harris, Yesufu, um MJ Rice coming off the bench, whoever. Someone in our backcourt needs to step up to help uh, Jalen Wilson. Because he can't go for 30 a night. Is he capable of doing it? Yes. But are we going to get to the Final Four, win the national championship, him going 30-plus every night? No. No, no. Not if he's the only guy scoring. But, Corey, let's go back to the K-State game. Good rivalry. We, we mentioned it last week that uh, K-State normally gives Kansas a shit ton of problems in this game at the Octagon of Doom. That place was loud. It was jumping. And what a crazy college basketball game this was. Goes in overtime. K-State wins by one. Jalen Wilson hits a go-ahead three late, and Bill Self called timeout to erase the three-point shot that it would have gave Jalen Wilson his 41st point and fourth made three of the night. Just talk to us about this game. Crazy atmosphere. K-State's the real deal, man. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, they defended well. Uh, they, you know, made uh, Kansas uncomfortable on the three-point line. They hit the shots they needed. I mean, they shot 42%. Uh, they stayed with the runs. They closed in the, at the end of the game. They did a lot of things that they needed to do to win. It was a uh, it was a huge win, and like you said, the place was absolutely rocking. I mean, and they celebrated it like they should after, you know, winning a big-time rivalry. Well, yeah, talking about the court rush, and I love the quote from Jerome Tang, man. If anybody doesn't think he's the right guy for this job, I, I love the quote. He, with the, the court being rushed, he gets on the mic. He's hyping him up. He said, I told you I'll give you one court rush. Enjoy it tonight because from here on out, we ain't doing it again because we're expected to win. Uh, I love the mentality of Coach Tang. But speaking of K-State, man, they did this without their best scorer, Marcus Noel, or Marquise Noel. Uh, he only had four points in this game, four fouls, was not very efficient, hit nothing from the three-point line. But they got the best story in college basketball, Keontae Johnson, 24 points. And the Arkansas transfer, Desi Sills off the bench, 24 points. Uh, Peyton, K-State, man, the real deal. Aren't, do you, are you finally a believer that K-State's the real deal now? I always have been. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I mentioned it fucking last week. I'm a big fan of Jerome Tang. I think he's the right guy to get this Kansas State program, and make especially making this rivalry um, great. Uh, right now it's a good rivalry, but I think he has the ability if he keeps getting wins like this, so it could potentially be in a great rivalry. If you look at the stats, it really just came down to one thing. They hit shots, we didn't. If you look at all the stats, we total rebounds were both 38 apiece. Uh, assists, we had nine more assists than they did. Um, turnovers were the same, 50 turnovers apiece, and what a physical game. Combined 49 fouls. That is ridiculous. Desi Seals, you mentioned he had, him and Keontae Johnson both had 24 apiece. Man, that kid was just hitting some ridiculous shots, especially in the first half. And, uh, Josh, you almost gave me a heart attack when we was coming home from the Butler game. Before this <laughs> shit went into overtime, Kansas has had a possession um, – Trying to do a little high pick and roll between uh, Dewan Harris. And, oh uh, yeah, yeah. We were du setting. Oh, hold on. Paint the picture now. Okay, go we ahead. Were, we were still setting in the Butler media section, and we had the dude that covers Creighton basketball hovering over us, watching the game too. Now go ahead with the story. <clears throat> 
Yeah, so I don't know what the score was, but I know that is clock was ticking down about 10 seconds, 10, 12 seconds like that. Dwan Harris has the ball top of the key. We're trying to run a high pick and roll action between him and uh, I think Edgefor is on the floor then because I think uh, KJ Adams like fouled out by then. Um, and Josh Lee said, it was like, okay, we'll probably go into overtime unless Kansas State steals the fucking pass here <laughs> yeah, and goes down and hits that- the layup. <laughs> I shit you not. Like, not even like a millisecond later, Dwan Harris goes to throw the pass to fucking yeah. Edgefor and it gets picked off and Josh is like, oh my God. And thank you. Yeah. God, Edgefor had the right state of mind, just go up, both hands up, and thank God he missed the layup. I looked at him, I was like, Bo, it's not a happen, I was going to punch you in the face. Dude, he almost it, gave me a heart attack on It that. was so, like, spot-on timing. I said, it's probably so going to go to overtime. On. I said, we're going to get overtime, it looks unless, like. Unless K-State steals the ball and goes and hits a game winner, and, like, just boom, instantly. I was like, no way. Oh, God, that was – it was perfect timing. But, no, a great college basketball game, Peyton. You mentioned the stats are pretty much identical. Same amount of turnovers. You know, Kansas had one more foul than K-State did. Free throws are pretty much identical. Kansas goes 24-34, yeah. K-State 26-33. It was a very tight ball game. It just – you know, you don't want to play hindsight and build stuff. So, man, I shouldn't have called that timeout. It is a wonder if he doesn't call that timeout, Kansas goes up. K-State has played that final possession differently. Um, but great college basketball game. But let's move to what happened yesterday. Because we talked about last year when Kentucky went into Allen Fieldhouse and absolutely throttled Kansas. They're like, that just don't happen. Let alone Kansas losing in Allen Fieldhouse under Bill Self. But more than less, to get completely wiped off the floor. And TCU went and done it. Peyton, this is three years in a row now where Kansas has taken one embarrassing home loss. Texas did it with Shaka Smart a couple years ago. Kentucky with John Calipari did it last year. And now Jamie Dixon and TCU to get their first ever win in Allen Fieldhouse. Um, That's three years in a row now where Kansas has taken one really bad, embarrassing home loss. Uh, Talk to us about this game. Uh, I was more frustrated watching this game than I was watching the Kansas State game. Kansas State game being on the road, losing that by one point with like three of our starters being out, um, and Dwan Harris going out with an injury uh, for a couple of minutes before he came back. I mean, that's whatever. Big time live again. You're going to lose something like that. It's a hell of a game. But this blow right here pissed me off because they fucking started the game out hot. And it's, it's just it's one of those nights coming to the game, TCU shot 28.7% like, from the three-point line. What do they do? They come and hit almost everything. They shoot 53% from the three-point line, 8 of 15 or whatever it was. They were shooting like 65% at one point. Uh, I think they were in the first half. They come in and hit some threes. That's not the only thing. They averaged 12 and a half bench points. 12 and a half bench points. You know how many bench points they got in this game? Everybody scored. Everybody who played scored and almost got in double digits. 39 bench points. Yeah, and they I mean, averaged 12 and a half. It's, it's one of those games that they hit shots. We struggled a couple times. Uh, we started to make a run. We got it. We was down 22 at one point in the first half, and then we clawed our way back to get it to uh, being Damn. down 10 points going to the second half. I mentioned Jalen Wilson earlier. He had 21 going in the second half. I mean, he tried his best to carry this team. McCullough, 5 or 6 from the field, 10 points. I mean, defensively, he wasn't the greatest. Um, Dwight Harris... No points, 0-4 from the field, 0-1 from three-point line, eight assists, three turnovers. Three combined points this weekend for Dwan Harris. Yeah, uh, he couldn't take care of the ball, and it wasn't just him. Uh, We had 17 total turnovers. Um, Our starting five had majority of them. Um, Rough game. 
Um, Corey, you want to know how big of an ass whooping this was? Kansas only had one lead, and that was the first bucket of the game. They led 2 nothing, and then after that, they did not lead the rest of the way. How about Jamie Dixon and TCU, man? Uh, what a job he has done in his time at TCU. I mean, he's just taking them to a whole nother level. I mean, it's just been a constant uptrend. And, I mean, uh, Kansas literally was the Oprah Winfrey of college basketball. I mean, everybody got a bucket against them. Uh, they, shot, they shot 55%, I mean, 53% from the floor or from the three-point line. I mean, I mean, it was almost like Kansas just stood and, you know, just just handed out the points to – I mean, it was just unreal. And Kansas, Kansas did everything – or Kansas did everything they could to lose that game. And, I mean, TCU – I mean, Peyton said it. They did shoot lights out. But, I mean, TCU just absolutely dominated the entire thing from, you know, start to finish. So – and they lost their big man early. Uh, Eddie Lampkin goes down. I, I never did hear a, what the, It was a high ankle sprain. High ankle sprain. So he goes down. They lost their big 6'11", dude, but it didn't matter. Um, you talked about Kansas Twitter, too. Through the course of this game, they were a lot complaining about Kansas just does not have size to match up with a team like TCU. TCU was just absolutely railroading them. Um in the paint, it sounded like, and of course, hitting the threes, like you mentioned, shooting fifty-three percent, going eight of fifteen from the three-point line. This was an embarrassment. Peyton, is this a trend now where Kansas takes one really bad home loss? Because if you remember, though, hindsight, after Kentucky went in and put a whooping on last year, after that game's when Kansas started turning on and ended up winning a national title. <laughs> so, so what do you think about this now? Three years in a row of really bad home losses and. What are you looking forward to? Because Kansas' schedule, we know the Big 12 is brutal. Oh it does not God. get easier because you look ahead to this week, they've got at Baylor and then they've got at Kentucky, two big-time road games where they theoretically, in, hindsight, or in, in theory, could go 0-2 on those to be a four-game losing streak. Yeah, motors well. Uh, it's going to happen every night in the Big Twelve. is going to be a big game. You gotta, you gotta play your best. If you don't, you can get upset any night. Um, definitely the biggest, the best conference in college basketball uh, by far. And uh, yeah, to coming off of a fucking tough loss like this at home. And the thing is, we were flirting with it. You know, at home we were combined like eight point margin uh, in the last three home games in the Big Twelve. So. Uh, could definitely could have we could have lost to Oklahoma State. We could have lost to Oklahoma at home. I ended up pulling those ones out, but eventually it's going to happen uh, sooner rather than later. So I'm glad it happened now. But uh, I don't like these shunts. Like, come on now. We need it's Allen fucking Fieldhouse. It's the toughest environment to play in college basketball. And you mentioned Kansas fans going no, to lie not. on Twitter yesterday. Shut up. And you mentioned Kansas fans going to lie on Twitter uh, about uh, how small we are. Forty-two points in the paint for TCU. We had 26. Um, can't happen. And KJ Adams is trying his best. He keeps getting in foul trouble. Well, he got four fouls with like 16 minutes to go in the second half. 16 minutes to go in the second half, he only had four fouls. Yeah, your one true you big do? gets in, Yeah, your one true big that plays a lot and gets in foul trouble is not good. Like, let's stick with the Big 12 real quick. We mentioned Murder's Row and how crazy every night is. You look at Iowa State. 12th in Ken Palm, rated top 15 across ECB top 25 and AP top 25 and all that. Tuesday night, they beat Texas at home 78-67. Then yesterday, they go to Oklahoma State and lose by two. I mean, the Big 12 is just a grind this year, fellas. Yeah, no, it's definitely the toughest conference in the country. Most depth, I mean, and every single night you have to have your stuff or you're getting blown out of the waters. I mean, 
And that's just the way it is this year. I mean, the Big Ten's been that in the past, the ACC before that. But this year, the Big 12 just lights out above everybody else, it seems. Peyton, Kale I said Kansas. Caleb Glad. Go ahead, Peyton. In this game. Caleb, he played, Caleb Glad played 17 minutes, zero points in this game. They did their best to shut him out. And uh, I'll call him to say, I mean, they're tough. Avery Anderson, the third, is a baller. 18 points, five assists, three rebounds. Mike Boyne's got himself a hell of a player. And I think they're a dangerous team if they can get into the tournament. Well, speaking of dangerous, we mentioned that Kansas' next game is at Baylor. And we'll preview that here a little bit later. But outside of K-State, Baylor's probably the hottest team in the conference right now. Coming off that three-game losing streak, well, now they've won four in a row, beating West Virginia, Oklahoma State, uh, beating West Virginia, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, and Oklahoma. Um, Baylor's got themselves a big week coming up as well. You look at Baylor's next couple games in the schedule, Kansas home, Arkansas home, at Texas, home against Texas Tech, Home against Oklahoma, TCU, West Virginia, Kansas, Kansas State, Texas, Oklahoma State, Iowa State. I mean, the Big 12 is – you know what this Big 12 this year kind of reminds me of? And not not exactly because they don't have the amount of teams, but this – the way the grind is reminds me of, like, the old Big East before the conference realignment. Remember when you had, what was it, four, 13 teams or whatever, and, like, 10 of them were really, really good, and everybody beat the shit out of everybody? That's what it kind of reminds me of. Yep. I agree. And the biggest difference on this Baylor squad, you, the, the, the three-game loss that they had, or the three-game losing streak they had against Iowa State, TCU, and Kansas State, I mentioned it. They had problems defending the ball. They couldn't defend. Iowa State, they gave up 77 points. TCU, 88 points. Kansas State, 97 points. All of those were losses. Guess what? In the last four games, they gave up 78 to West Virginia, but that was on the road. Uh, they go play uh, Oklahoma State at home. Guess what? Give up only 58 points. Then they play Texas Tech at Texas Tech, 74 points. Points they gave up, and then just now they play at Oklahoma and uh, gave up 60 points. And this Baylor squad, they got one of the best backcourts in the country. And if they just figure out defensively, like I think they have, uh, they're the number two ranked offense in uh, Ken Palm for Justin Finchley. So their offense is great. They need to figure out defensively. I think they're starting to do it. Well, this is a great segue because we've talked about defensively all year. Let's go to the West Coast. Let's move our attention away. Let's go to the West Coast real quick because Gonzaga had their, not NCAA record, but the current longest standing home streak at 76 games snapped Thursday night at home in the kennel to Loyola Marymount. They got beat 68-67 at home. This is a team that started putting a bunch of wins together, but we talked about their defense is terrible this year. Look at all the points, even in the wins they're giving up. I mean, there's no shame giving up 90 to Alabama. We're not faulting them for that, but look in the conference play. They gave up 88 to Pepperdine. They gave up 75 to San Fran, 76 to Santa Clara, 74 to BYU, 75 to Portland. And I get some of these like Pepperdine and Portland, they're, they're still scoring 111 and 115 points. But man, their defense, even last night, they bounced back and got a win on the road at Pacific, but they gave up 90 points. They're 89th in uh, uh, defensive efficiency, effective defensive efficiency in Ken Palm, in the nation, 89th. This is a Gonzaga team that struggles to defend the basketball. Lucky for them, they put up a shit ton of points. But what do we make of their 76-game home winning streak getting snapped Thursday night by Loyola Marymount 70 or 68-67? 
Cameron Shelton was a ball in this game. He had 27 points, 2 assists, 9 rebounds. He played pretty much the whole game, 39 minutes. Um, he was a star. Uh, he's probably the best player on the floor. Drew Timmy, I mean, 17 points, 7 rebounds, kind of a Drew Timmy type of a game. But Nolan Hickman, um, he had 12.6 assists. The same th it's the same thing with Gonzaga that we were talking about. The guard play has to be better, and they got to defend the ball. And that's something that they don't do, and they haven't done all season long. If you look at the past couple years, defensive, defensive efficiency rating for uh, Kempon for Gonzaga, they've been in top 10 the last two years. This year, you mentioned it, what, the 89th? Um, probably, I think the lowest they've been since uh, they were... I'm trying to look at it. They've been top 20... Defensive efficiency since 2016 till now. Um, it's the worst rating since then, and uh, they got to get it out. They got to figure it out defensively. Got to. Corey, your thoughts on this? Yeah, no. I mean, you guys kind of touched on it. It's like you when you give up those or that many points every single game in and out. It's like I mean, you have to be at your all-time best when the offense end. And it's like one little slip up, you're going to drop three, four games potentially in the West Coast now. And it's like, you know, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just got to be, you know, got to be better. I mean, like you said, I mean, uh, what'd you say? No, just I'm going to put this out here because now I, I still think Gonzaga loses another game or two in conferences here. I, I think in the WCC with like two or because I still think that St. Mary's is going to beat them. And I think now at this point, they're going to get upset by somebody else. So I think they're going to end the WCC with three losses at least. That's going to put them that they're not going to be the number one seed, obviously. I see them coming in the term as like a four or five. And especially you put them as a five, they're going to get a really tough 12 seed. I'm telling you, the way they don't defend, and again, I know they're going to score a shit ton of points, but they're going to get a matchup in tournament. I don't think this Gonzaga team gets out the first weekend. What do you guys think about that? I don't think they get out the first weekend this year. The way they're defending this year, no. I mean, when you start getting the best of the best, and the way the NCAA tournament runs, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna get somebody that's gonna come out and score the basketball. I mean, are you gonna sit there and do what they can to shut you down? It's like I don't think they do as well. I don't think so either. And here's a stat for you that's crazy that I just looked up on Ken Palm talking about defensive efficiency rating. This is the first time that Mark Fuse and Zaga team been ranked outside of the top 50 in defensive efficiency rating since 2007. And they were ranked 87th that year. Yeah, and I mean, it's been a long time. And if they don't get this shored up, I'm telling you, I just don't think that they're going to make it out of the first weekend playing like this. I, I don't. Um, especially if you're a five, let's say they're five and they get a 12. They're more than likely going to get a 12. That's one of those play-in games. So that means at this rate, it's going to be like a Kentucky or an Indiana or whoever. And I know they destroyed Kentucky, but neutral site game. Weird things happen. Um, speaking of Kentucky, they're starting to put it together. I'm still very hesitant on saying, oh, we're back. But now they're 13-6, and six, three-game win streak. They come from behind at halftime and rep on Tuesday night to beat Georgia 85-71. Then they play an unbeaten SEC opponent in Texas A&M yesterday in Rupp Arena, beat them 76-67 in a very physical game. On Tuesday night, Oscar goes for 37 points, 24 rebounds, Kentucky is the number one offensive rebounding team in America, getting a whopping 39% of their possessions in an offensive rebound. So now the Kentucky, they're playing the lineup, right? And we talked about it after the Tennessee win last week. They're playing the lineup everybody wants. By the way, this lineup coming into yesterday's game, 
they don't, they played like 60 possessions together. So it's a very small sample size compared to other teams uh, starting or their lineups having like 300 possessions. But this lineup of uh, Kaysan Wallace, CJ Frederick, Antonio Reeves, Jacob Top, and Oscar Shibley has been the most efficient offensive lineup in college basketball since 2019-2020. Basically what the metrics say is that what this is equivalent to, how efficient they are, is like this started this five scoring 300 points a game. That's how efficient this five has been. And this is the same five that played a shit ton of minutes yesterday against Texas AM in the win. What do we make of Kentucky now? Are you sold that Cal has seen the light? And because Savir only played 11 minutes Tuesday night against Georgia, played eight minutes against Texas AM yesterday. So are we sold that Cal has seen the light and playing this lineup where you have to guard everybody on the floor that opens the floor up? for a guy like Oscar opens the floor up for driving lanes and has shooters on the floor. Are we sold Kentucky's turn the corner now? Uh, I'm not fully sold that they've turned the corner. Um, it's still a wait and see approach for me. They've done it two games in a row. They've done it the last two games, but you mentioned it. First half against Georgia, they looked awful. Um, they was down, I think, as many as 15 points in that game in the first half, and then they rallied back, but ended up winning that game. But the last two games after that Tennessee uh, win on the road, they've been at home. Let's see if they can continue the trend. Let's see if they can do it on the road, because uh, they're going to have to Tuesday night when they get Vandy, and that's a Josh, you know better than anyone. That's a tough-ass environment to play. Uh, let's see if they can do it there. And then they get Kansas Saturday night. That's their first big test since the Tennessee game. And luckily they get him in Wup Arena. But the thing is, is like if they get, if it's a close game there, I don't know if he's going to stick to his guns, if he's going to play that lineup or not. But if they do, I think they got the talent. They got the pieces. And if they start hitting shots, if they start getting consistency, uh, the three-point rating from uh, Antonio Reeves and C.J. Frederick and whoever the hell it is, Casey Wallace, um, I think he consistently hit shots, and I th- I still think they can get to a final four. I do too, they man. got the fucking pieces. I it just do too. is Cal going to get into his own head again? He's going to fuck it up for him. It's a wait and see approach for me. I don't think they turned the corner, but I think they're starting to peek around the corner. Well, and defensively too, Corey, they're 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 starting to play a lot better defensively. Uh, I mean, you held Tennessee to 56. The first half against Georgia, Georgia scored like 40 points, but then they held them to 31 in the second half. Texas A&M held Texas A&M to 67 points. Defensively, they're starting to turn the corner. They're still 66 in the nation as far as effective defense goes. But they're starting to lock in a little bit more, shooting the three ball pretty well, 36%, almost 37%. Um, yesterday against Texas A&M, they shot 32 threes, the most in a Calipari-era game since 2011 with Brandon Knight and company. They hit 11 of them, but – their shooters, C.J. Frederick, Antonio Reeves, Kaysan Wallace, had a lot of open threes that just did not go in. Let me hear your thoughts on this because I told Peyton off air. They continue to get those offensive looks because they're running better offense. They're getting their shooters open. They're going to have a night where all them guys are hitting. I'm telling you, I think by the eight years in, Kentucky's going to have a game where they hit like 19 or 20 threes. Yeah, I know. It's definitely gonna happen i mean i think and the thing that was really impressive yesterday was oscar had one of his worst games of the year i mean i don't think he scored until like the 15 minute mark in the second half before he scored on a couple free throws after the uh the two intentional fouls happened and you know i think you know yesterday kind of showed that they can go to other options than having just him score and having him kind of dominate a game i mean he still did on the offensive end you know he's a big threat on the defensive end but it's like you know, I mean, and on top of that, I mean, uh, 
sorry, I just lost my page. Uh, on top of that, Frederick didn't even have his best shooting game. I mean, he shot 20% from three, two for 10, three from 12 from the floor. And I mean, they still found other ways. Toppin stepped up. I mean, and it's like, you know, I'm not I completely sold that they've turned the corner, but I think, you know, Peyton kind of touched on this that they, they did a lot of things to, you know, kind of start peeking around and, you know, kind of tiptoeing themselves out. And it's like, you know, the biggest thing is, I think that we just have to see which kind of which kind of Calipari we have. If he's one that sits there and gets in his own head and ends up screwing him up, uh, you know, down the stretch. And I think, you know, their next couple of games are going to be really a telltale sign of what's going to happen. Well, it's kind of funny where you have the floor space because defenses have to play you honest because you have all these shooters. And look at a guy like Jacob Toppin. 17 points yesterday. He was 6 of 10 from the uh, – Inside the arc, one of two on his, he uh, you know made one of his two three point attempts. But a guy like him benefits just as much as anybody because his size at six nine, he's playing a stretch four basically. He has room to operate now where you can play him in the mid post and he can do his little back down if a guy's smaller and turn on him. He can attack the rim. You have driving lanes because you have to worry so much about C.J. Frederick and Antonio Reeves. And it makes it easier for Oscar. And Oscar, you got to give a lot of credit to Oscar and Lance because now they are kicking the ball out. When they're getting double teams, they're kicking the ball out to three-point shooters. Kentucky, again, I'm not completely – I'm not going to go as far as say like, oh, yeah, they're, they're really going to challenge and they're going to – but if we continue to see this progression and they continue to play this lineup, I'm telling you, I think Kentucky's going to be back in the fold come March. That's all I'm saying. Uh, before we move on, I'll tell you why, and I think it's pretty funny. Uh, Coley just said that uh, Oscar Shebley last night had one of his worst games probably all the season. What, 7 points, 17 rebounds is what he had last night against Texas A&M. This is coming off of his fucking performance against Georgia, where he probably had the best performance he's had probably in a Kentucky uniform, probably last year, period. Uh, 37 points, 24 boards against Georgia. He put this team on his giant ass back, and that was national play of the year and I'm saying it, it's probably the best game he's played in a Kentucky uniform in his career and I, I completely agree I, I don't see how it gets much better than that um let's oh, move yeah. on real quick Let, let's move on real quick uh the game of the day yesterday was Arizona playing host to UCLA UCLA red hot coming in Arizona gets a pair of big wins this week after not looking impressive the last couple weeks they held UCLA to 52 points and here's the thing we, we rail on Arizona's defense. They're 45th in the nation. But, man, they held UCLA to 52. Arizona looked real good yesterday. Yeah, they did. But they can't hit shots, and neither did UCLA in this game. Both teams shot under 30% from the three-point line. They Neither team was hitting anything. UCLA actually out-rebounding, or out-rebounded Arizona 44-37. to And, man, Arizona, they had the fucking game won. They were up 10 points with, like, under two minutes to go, under three minutes to go, or something like that. And they almost fucked up and gave it away. UCLA got some turnovers, four straight turnovers in a row for UCLA. All in up in buckets and they got very close they got they cut the lead down to 52 to 56 with like 12 seconds to go and Tiger Campbell had the ball after the huge block but I think it was Jaime Huckett Jr. then uh, Dean Bona blocked another shot or layup they got the ball back Tiger Campbell dribbling down the floor and man I don't know what it is this year but end of game situation is just so poorly executed because he got down the lane very quickly with like 12 seconds to go and you're down four points. 
he tries to go for a two-pointer. He tries to do all this fancy shit. But the thing is, like, his first move, he did a hesitation, and he got so much space that he could have just shot the three, and he just hit a three before that, too. So if he hits that, they're now down 56-55. No timeouts. End of game situation. He ended up missing the two-pointer. They ended up losing, fouling, getting beat by six. But end of game situation is just so poorly executed. I don't know why it's a theme this year, but it just is. Yeah, really bad in the game situation. Right, Corey, thoughts on Arizona's big time Pac-12 win today or yesterday? You know, it's a good thing that UCLA couldn't score the ball any better than they did because they did every single thing they could to lose that game. I mean, Peyton touched on it, but the end of the game, I mean, the turnovers, the forced passes, the lazy stepping to the ball, I mean, just everything. It was like they just went into relaxed mode and I mean, tried to give away the game. I mean, it was just unreal. But I mean. We'll, they uh, they did you know definitely step up the defense. I mean holding holding UCLA to thirty one percent, twenty percent from three. I mean UCLA had some lows that just didn't go down. I mean some of their best scores just didn't convert. I mean five of seventeen shooting from Jacquez and you know Clark. I mean four for thirteen. Campbell five of eighteen. So I mean there was a lot of four shots also, but it just looked like neither team could really get in a rhythm. And, you know, just a lot of a lot of the game just wasn't very smooth. It was kind of a bad basketball game, I thought, in my opinion. After watching both teams yesterday, at their peak, when they're playing their absolute best, what's the ceiling for both teams? UCLA, in my opinion, uh, could potentially be a Final Four team if they get in their rhythm and, and play to their peak. I mean, they score the ball like no other. Um, and I've been the hardest, you know, hardest on them. Uh, Arizona, I'm still not completely sold. They have, you know, they have, you know, pro pro guys, you know, size wise, and I mean, efficiency on the offensive end. Defensively, I'm not completely sold. I think they could be a Sweet 16 team to the Elite Eight, depending on if they get in, you know, getting a good run. I think UCLA is national championship contenders. I think they can get to the Final Four. Um, they got two really, really good players in Tiger Campbell and Jaime Hookas Jr. And the thing is, they lost this game by six points. Um, who's to say if Molly Bailey doesn't play, de- plays in this game, it's a different story. Um, they still got two five-star recruits in Bailey and Dean Boner. They got a lot of talent defensively. They're great. Offensively, they just need to hit some shots they didn't do in this game. Arizona, like Corey said, I'm not sold. He's not sold on the defense. Neither am I. But I'm not really sold on their guard play either. I think their front court is probably still the best front court in the country. But their backcourt, Courtney Lamey, Kirk Carissa, Pauly Lawson is this it's a solid backcourt, but I don't think it's going to, it's a backcourt that's going to get you to a Final Four this year. I'm not sold on them. Let's move on real quick to Indiana. By the way, they're currently playing right now uh, at home against Michigan State. Tied up 29 at all uh, under four timeout in the first half. But Austin up 2-1. Soccer with their fucking goal, it looks like. Hey, no one cares. We're talking about Indiana winning. <laughs> yeah, hey, real quick, real quick, because we got to get to commercial break. We've went a little longer. But um, Indiana goes into a, or, uh, Illinois on Thursday evening, just puts an ass whooping all over Illinois. It was up as much as 21 points on the Illini. Illinois, they only led 4 nothing. That was their, first, their only lead of the game, their last lead of the game. Indiana looked damn good in this game. Trace Jackson Davis, 35 points, 15 and 19. In the first half, him and the maybe – Outside of him, the player of the game, Jordan Geronimo, combined for 12 of 12 from the field. Speaking of Geronimo, 13 points in this game, eight rebounds. Corey, your boys look damn good in Illinois Thursday night. 
Yeah, no, they came into that game and absolutely just dominated in every aspect. I mean, they shot the ball. I mean, they're leading the Big Ten at 50.9% from the field, uh, third in the overall NCAA right now. And it's like, I mean, they defended, they blocked shots, they rebounded, they they scored the basketball, they did everything that they need to do. And, I mean, like you said, Illinois got out to that 4-0 lead. I, I know a couple of my friends texted me and said, uh-oh, you know, what kind of game are we going to have? And then all of a sudden, like, Indiana flipped the switch on and they never looked back. I mean, uh, Trace Jackson Davis <laughs> looked like he was the best player on the floor again. I mean, like, I, uh, you know, it's upsetting that he's in the same conference as uh, Zach Eady because, you know, he should definitely be contending for uh, player of the you know, but, I mean, overall, I mean, it's just absolutely unreal. Uh, switching over to WWE already. So, uh, Kofi Coburn uh, being gone. So, you know, it was definitely uh, it was definitely huge to see. Um, you know, and then today going into the Michigan State game, Indiana started out slow and came back and have a lead again. So, um, you know, I'll let Peyton go because I know he wants to tear on me a little bit. No, I ain't doing it. I get. I, I shot out Indiana last week. I don't know if you let, listened to the podcast or not, but it was one of my shout-outs. They're starting to play well. Um, this is probably the best performance I've seen at Indiana pretty much all season long. You know, you can probably say the North Carolina game, but the difference is they did that at Assembly Hall. You know, the real Assembly Hall. Sorry, Phil. I know you're not on this show today. Not but the real Indiana's Assembly Hall. Don't even, Hall. don't even give me that crap. Don't even give me that crap. Assembly Hall is not anywhere near the Illinois border. I know. That's why I was just saying. If you give me a minute to fucking say it, damn it. Uh, Tan Shannon Jr., I mean, he's great. He had 26 points, but my question watching this game, and I know like Terrence Ogilvie from Phil 68 and a bunch of other people are saying it. Why, when TJD was going off, why the fuck did they never send a double team out of his ass? They, they, they decided that they were going to play him 1v1, and that's great. That's, so, that, that's great if it's he, he's not going off, but as soon as he starts getting hot, you got to run a double down. Yeah, immediately. As soon as he catches the ball, I'll throw a double at him. Make him pass. Make someone else beat you besides TJD. Because that's pretty much what happened. TJD beat, him, beat them pretty much by himself. He had a lot of help. But TJD was a fucking monster. Very efficient. 13 or 15 from the field. Amazing performance. Yeah, Jordan Geronimo, 13 points. Like I mentioned, he was 6 of 6 from... He had all 13 in the first half. Um, a, a guy, too, real quick. Jalen Hood-Shafino starting to come into his own now. He is looking the part. I, he only If you look at the stat line, oh, he only had 10 points. You know, four assists, four turnovers. But his ability to get in the lane now off pick and rolls is open this whole floor up for Indiana. He is turning into a really good guard. And if Indiana could get Xavier Johnson back, more so than Race Thompson, if he, they could get Race Xavier Thompson's Johnson back today. Oh, is he? Okay, so I've got the game yeah. on the background. Indiana's up 34-29 with a minute 20 yeah. in the first half. But if they get Xavier Johnson back to help out Hood Shafino in the backcourt, Indiana's going to start blossoming even more, I think. But good win for Indiana. Uh, starting to turn the corner, it looks like, themselves. Good stuff all around. We're going to take – it's our one and only commercial break a little later in the show. We had a lot to talk about and cover. We're going to hit some commercials. When we come back on the other side, we got a lot of previews this week. Another big-time week of college basketball coming right at you right after commercial break here. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh here, and I'm here to let you know that we've teamed up with SeatGeek this season to get you the best deals for tickets to your favorite teams. SeatGeek takes the confusion out of buying tickets, and they are here to give you some great deals. Get in on the fun and head over to SeatGeek 
Download their app and use code NCAA Hoops Digest for $20 off of your first purchase. What's going on, everybody? This is Will Tondo, the co-founder of House Enterprise, and I'm happy to announce that the Everything College Basketball podcast is now part of the House of College Hoops Network. We're really excited to bring you some premier college basketball content this season. So check out the website, www.house-enterprise.com for all of our content creators, all of our college hoop stuff, and we're excited to get this season rolling. What's going on, everybody? This is Conrad here from Everything Pro Wrestling, here to let you know that Everything Pro Wrestling is a show by the fans, for the fans. Every Monday, we are live at 6.05 Eastern Standard Time with Clash of the Podcast, where you can listen to myself and my tag team partner, Sean Hubbard of Hubbard Wrestling Weekly, talk all the latest and greatest in pro wrestling. You might even find an old school topic or two as well mixed in. And every Wednesday, we go live on YouTube once again with AEW Dynamite post-show coverage. So at 10.05, head on over to the Everything Pro Wrestling channel and talk what we just saw on Dynamite with us. And did I mention that we are on all available audio platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. Thank you so much for listening to me, and let's get back to everything college basketball. Special shout out to our guy Conrad Cushman for everything pro wrestling. It's Royal Rumble weekend now, baby. My favorite pay-per-view of the year. Can't wait to watch that and hear his reviews and previews and all that good stuff. Um, I asked on the Facebook group. I said it's kind of a mailbag. Not a whole lot of questions, but some comments on the season and stuff. Our guy Johnny Stroud says, my thoughts on the season. This might this might be the most wide open the NCAA tourney may ever be. I can honestly not name one team that I feel is a front runner or a quote-unquote lock to be a Final Four team. At times, I've thought at least 20 different teams look like contenders. I think four to five may or have been eliminated from contender talk as of now, but with a lot of season left, it can regain it. Ready for the madness of March already. And then Don Lucas from the Facebook group says, seems like SEC has very little big-time outside shooters. Almost like overnight turned into a defensive beat-you-up type of league. It's going to be interesting to see who really turns it on offensively at the end of the season. Whoever that is, look out. If not, can a defensive team like I described win it all? Excuse me. <clears throat> Big 12 is probably the deepest league. I agree with Johnny Stroud about the tournament. It feels like it's, it feels like it's getting like that more and more every year. So thoughts from our Facebook people. Um, everybody seems to be the consensus that it's going to be a wide open NCAA tournament. Oh, yeah. At least 20 teams definitely are contenders to win the national, especially does, not only to win the national title, but especially get to a final four. I mean, you got teams like Creighton, who's unranked, who's like sitting at like 12 and 8, 13 and 8, whatever they are right now. Um, but they still got the talent to get to a final four. We mentioned Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky struggled, especially early on in the season. They're starting to get it figured out. They're definitely final four contenders. Um, Indiana right now, they're up 37 to, looks like 32. Yeah, 37, 32. They're starting to get it figured out. They are final four contenders, it looks like. They got the talent to get to a final four. It's definitely wide open, and it's definitely going to be an interesting tournament. And uh, I'm very excited once we get into March. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, it just seems like every single day there's somebody that shows up and somebody that, you know, shows that they can be there. I mean, you know, Peyton kind of touched on, you know, being an Indiana fan, but it's like Trace Jackson Davis missed a lot of key time early. Uh, Race Thompson being out, Xavier Johnson being out. 
uh, Jalen Hood, uh, Safino being out hurt. I mean, it's just like Indiana's dealt with so many injuries that kind of threw them off. But I mean, it's like Kansas, I mean, has looked bad this week, but it's like overall they're still, you know, a Final Four contender. I mean, I think. You know, even teams, I mean, I'm going to go from a little bit far of stretch, but like Ohio State, I mean, Ohio State starts out as a top, uh, you know, in the top 15 and all, and it's fallen off. I think they still have the time to get things figured out and rolling. I mean, there's a lot of bad people left. I mean, Kentucky went through a huge stretch where, you know, they've fallen out and not even receiving votes, but, you know, are starting to turn the corner, you know, peaking out. I mean, there's just so many teams this year that have the, the talent to kind of get there. It's just been unreal. It's going to be. You know, it's going to be a March Madness to remember, I think. Hey, real quick before we get into previews, I want to ask you guys, since it brought it up the way Johnny had worded that. As we sit here today, give me your four best teams in college basketball. Oh, shit. Um, Well, I know definitely my top two. Uh, My top two is definitely Bama, number one, Houston, number two. And the reason I'm giving Bama number one over Houston is because I think Bama plays in a tougher conference, and they've just – I think Bama beat them. Yeah, true. Uh, They beat them head-to-head, and I think Bama just looked better in their uh, solid conference play pretty much the whole season. So I think Bama's number one, Houston's number two. Uh, Number three – Oh, man, fuck. Now, that's when it gets tough. Top two is easy for me. Houston and ba- or Bama and Houston. But, I mean, you could still fucking throw fucking... Oh, Purdue. Purdue three. That's okay. Top three is easy for me. Fourth, it's wide open. I mean, you can go fucking whoever you want. That's you can exactly. go even... You can go Kansas State if you want to. I've seen people have Kansas okay. State top five. You've had so fucking... You, you, you tuck the words right out of my mouth. Um, pretty much, uh, I think top three are fairly easy. In some order, Alabama, Houston, Purdue, and then I'm going fourth, Kansas State. They 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 replace Kansas right now. Yeah, oh, it's hard to argue that. It's amazing that we're in a conversation that there's three clear cut top three, and then number four through you know however many are just such a jumble right now. Like, when's the last time you could say that it's been going on in college basketball? But it's probably going to change, though, again this week because, which leads me into, this week we got some big games, not only in conference, but this weekend we got the Herald of Big 12 SEC Challenge, which could be, honestly, the top two conferences in college basketball. So let's get into the previews here now. Uh, Tomorrow evening, or today, whenever you listen to this, on Monday, Kansas at Baylor. We alluded to it a little bit ago, Peyton. The Jayhawks go to a surging Baylor team. It's a tale of two different teams here. Let me hear your thoughts on this, because I think this could be very interesting. Fuck me. Uh, it's probably that motor as well. Like I said earlier, going to get everyone's fucking, you got to be fucking ready to, you got to be prepared to fucking go to war, especially in the Big 12 this year. Fuck, be, being at Baylor, I mean, it scares me to death, especially how well they fucking played so far the last five games. They've won four in a row. Defensively, they've looked better. Probably, in my eyes, they got a top five backcourt and Flagler, a crier, and a Keontae George. If they can defend and they can hit some shots, I think Baylor can win it. And actually, I think I'm – it's crazy I'm going to say Kansas loses three in a row, but I think they will. Baylor's going to get the job done. I think it's going to be a close, low-scoring defensive fucking war – uh, under 70 points. I think Baylor wins 68 to 64. Not looking forward to this game at all. Baylor's number two in effective offense right now in the nation yeah, uh, as far as efficiency me. goes. 
shooting 36.2% from three. But keep in mind, I mentioned Kansas is towards the bottom in the conference of defending a three team shooting 37%. If Baylor hits 37% of their threes that they take against Kansas in this game tomorrow night, Baylor wins by a comfortable margin. I'm not saying like 15. I'm saying like seven, eight, nine points. Uh, so with that, I'm with you, man. I, I want to think Bill Self gets this right because it's not often we see Kansas go on an extended losing streak. I just think that right now, if they don't get the help needed for um, Jalen Wilson, if Dewan Harris doesn't start scoring the basketball, if KJ Adams doesn't continue to play well, Baylor's a bad matchup on the road for him. I'm going Baylor in a, let's say, 72-64 effort. Jalen Wilson going to be tremendous, I would think, again. But I just this is a bad matchup with Kansas currently playing the way they are. I think uh, I think Kansas is going into this game with a huge chip on their shoulder after getting embarrassed um, by TCU. I think after losing a big rivalry game, they're going to go in and try and prove something. I think uh, I think Baylor is going to go in with big hype. Um, they're trying to upset you know Kansas and send them to a three-game losing streak. But I think Kansas gets the job done at Baylor this week. Um, I think it's going to be a, like a 76-69 point uh, game. I think Kansas gets it done and uh, unfortunately uh, snaps the streak and so Peyton has something to talk about next week. Let's stay in the Big 12 because Super Tuesday, we've got K-State going to Iowa State. A lot of Big 12 implications in the next couple games, or the next couple days, should I mean here. K-State on the road to Iowa State. Iowa State took the loss yesterday on the road to Oklahoma State, but we know how good they've been at home. K-State has been miraculously good this year. So how are we feeling about the Wildcats of Kansas State going into Iowa State here in a big-time Big 12 showdown? Go ahead, Clay. Man, this is tough. I think, you know, I really do think that, you know, Kansas State is a, a top five team in the country. But going into Iowa State, who's playing really well as well, at, you know, and being just, you know, up in uh, up in a home game, man, this is tough. Like, I was kind of hoping Peyton would cut me off and say he could go first because it's like, man, I really um, – Here, I'll go. I'll go first here then. All right, I'll uh, let you go I, first. Iowa State's number seven in defense. That's what they hang their hat on. They're also the number one team in the nation in turnover percentage on the defensive end. They're turning teams uh, turning teams over almost twenty eight, almost about twenty eight point four percent exactly. Here was meant to say is almost twenty nine percent, but that's a lot of turnovers in a course of a ball game. So they hang their hat defensively. Um, Kansas State has a tendency to turn the ball over, but K State, there's something magical about this team right now. They're going to have to have their backcourt Noel and. Um, Keontae Johnson play well. Are they going to get 20-some points from Desi Sills again off the bench? Probably not. But if their backcourt, if Noel picks his game back up, continues to score like he had prior to the Kansas game, Keontae Johnson gets you 15, 20 points. I like K-State in this game. I think it'll be ugly because Iowa State at home is going to lock in defensively, obviously. But I think Kansas State's fine playing a game like that. And uh, I like K-State winning this game. 68 to 65. All right, I'll go ahead and go. Uh, you know, I, I think you kind of touched on it, you know, the defensive efficiency and stuff like that. That's where I was really debating. And uh, I think the guard play of Kansas State's going to carry them, but I think just the overall defensive pressure being, and also on top of that, 
Iowa State's going to show up and show out, you know, as uh, support. And I think it's just going to be a, an environment okay. that, you know, uh, Iowa State just, you know, blossoms in. I think they take the win. I think it's going to be a 60-62-56 game. Fuck me, man. Uh, I'm going to go with fucking Iowa State. They hold home court. Um, Cyclones gets a job done in the close one. Man, Kansas State, they're fucking tough. They're physical. It's hard to go against them right now, isn't it? The, both of their losses has came on the road. They've only lost two games so far this year. They lost at Butler on the 30th of November, and they just lost like eight days ago um, at TCU. So both of their losses came on the road. It's so tough. I mean, they're, just, they're so physical. They're so tough. Jerome Tane's going to have these boys ready to go. They understand that they... If they want to win the Big 12, they can't really afford to lose games like this. And honestly, they, they when the polls come out, the ECB and the AP poll comes out tomorrow, they might be a top five team they might. going into we'll this see. game. Yeah, they might. We'll see. But I don't think they're going to be – I don't think they're going to beat Iowa State. If Iowa State were to beat um, Oklahoma State, then maybe I would have leaned towards uh, Kansas State. But the fact that they just lost on the road in a tough game by two points, I thought they're going to be motivated. They want to defend the home court, and uh, Iowa State gets the job done in a close one. I don't have a score prediction. I just know it's going to be close and tough. Let's swap to the Big East and another tough environment type game here on Wednesday night. Xavier on the road at Connecticut. We know Connecticut has been struggling mightily starting the year out unbeaten at 14-0. Since then, they have lost what, five of their last six. Their only win at home against Creighton on uh, January 7th. They've lost three in a row. They're playing Butler right now as we speak at home. We know Xavier beat them to give them their first loss on New Year's Eve, 83-73 in the CentOS Center. Can UConn extract some revenge, right the ship, and split the season series with Xavier at home in this ballgame? Corey, you want to go first or you want me to go first? Yeah, I'll take it first. I think uh, you know, UConn's beating up on Butler 45-23 at halftime. Uh, you know, Butler just it doesn't have enough to compete you know, on the road right now. I think, though, that Xavier comes in. I mean, I think they dominate every part of the game again. Uh, the bigs, the backcourt, I think, you know, I think they go in and take advantage of a struggling UConn team. I think UConn kind of gets a little confidence today, but I think Xavier just has too much for him. I think you, uh, Xavier sweeps the, uh, uh, you know, the overall series for the, you know, the season. I think, or I think Xavier wins it uh, 76 to 71. Peyton? Xavier, they are sixth in offense, fifth in three-point shooting in the country, shooting 39.7%, almost 40% from three. And they have some of the best backcourt in the country right now with oh Sully Boom, Colby Jones. You've got a guy like Adam Kunkel. Um, and then look at their front court, Zach Fremantle and Jack Nunge. This is a tremendous Xavier team. And I just think they're a bad matchup for Connecticut. I, I don't trust Connecticut right now. Their guard play is shaky at best. Their bigs that we raved about at the beginning of the year, Sonogo and Klingon, aren't playing up to what we've seen the first 14 games. I just think Xavier's a bad matchup, and I think Xavier's one of the best teams in the country, despite the loss to DePaul back on Wednesday. Um, I, I like Xavier in this game pretty comfortably. I'm going Xavier 81, UConn 68. 
I think I'm going to agree with both of you. We're going to sweep it. I like this Xavier squad. Um, they lost a tough one on the road. Uh, their first conference loss at DePaul, 73-72. And then they turn around and beat the fuck out of Georgetown by 13 points. Well, that's not really anything special. Everybody's beating Georgetown in the Big East Conference this year. Um, I think they're going to sweep it. I think they sweep Connecticut. Like you said, I don't like Connecticut's guard play. I think it's shaky at best. The one thing I think Connecticut could do is hit some shots because, Xavier, you mentioned they're 39. They shoot 39.7% from the three-point line, but they also give up 36.2% from the three-point line defending the three. So they don't really defend the three that well either. So if Connecticut can hit some shots and maybe their backcourt, either Trisha Newton or whoever it is, can get going, I think Connecticut could upset them. I don't think it's going to happen. Xavier wins this game, plus eight. Let's go to the Big 12 SEC Challenge on Saturday. I always look forward to this because it's been really good here lately. And let's go let's start with Arkansas going on the road to Waco to play Baylor. Peyton, this is an Arkansas team that just got their second win in conference play, who we predicted to probably – I think we predicted them to win the conference in the ECB preseason magazine. They're 2-5 and five in SEC play. They're now 13-6 and six overall, the same record as Kentucky. We know their issues. No healthy Nick Smith hasn't been playing. They lost um, – oh, shit, what's the kid's Tra- name? Trayvon Brazil. Trayvon, Tra- Trayvon Brazil, thank you. They're relying heavily on Ricky Council and Anthony Black to do all their scoring. And Baylor, we talked about just a minute ago with Kansas. They're playing better. This is a bad matchup for Arkansas without their two main guys and Nick Smith and Trayvon Brazil. I, I don't see how – and you don't ever want to doubt Eric Musselman because the must bus is special and he knows what he's doing. But unless they get some incredible performance, not only from Council and Black, but if you have a guy like Devontae Davis, uh, Jordan Walsh, or one of the Mitchell twins step up, I don't see how they go into Baylor and win this game. I think Baylor wins fairly comfortable. Probably a high-scoring game because both teams are want to get up and down. I, I could see Baylor winning this game 91-77. I think that's about right. Um, tough matchup for Arkansas to overcome. Baylor is just, like I mentioned earlier in the Kansas game, they're just playing well. And uh, I think Baylor goes Monday night and beats my Kansas, and then they go Saturday night and beat our Kansas. So Baylor gets the job done. <laughs> that's <laughs> fucking, hilarious. <laughs> that's <laughs> fucking hilarious. I was hoping someone fucking get it, damn it. Thank that's you. the greatest line that I've heard this year. <laughs> fucking put on a t shirt, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so, how long have you been thinking about saying that? Peyton? No, just now. I didn't, no, just now. I swear to God, just oh. now. That's I just came up with that hilarious. That's Peyton. good. That's good. Uh, That's yeah, they beat uh, Arkansas um, pretty comfortably. I think they jump them early on. I don't think their defense, Arkansas's defense, is going to be able to contain guys like Keontae George. He might go for thirty in this game. Uh, Baylor wins pretty comfortably. I think uh, I think Baylor takes this one without a doubt. I think you know being home, uh, I think they're come off a loss after the Kansas game, and I think they're going to knock off uh, Arkansas. Um, you know, I just think you know Arkansas having injuries and Arkansas having guys out and stuff like that is just going to be way too much. Uh, and Baylor's going to take advantage, and Baylor's going to come out and and take a, a good run at it. I think uh, I think they take the win about 81-270, actually 81-70. Let's go to the Rick Barnes Classic here. 
also part of the Big 12 SEC Challenge. We've got the Tennessee Volunteers playing the Texas Longhorns in Thompson Bowling Arena. This You remember last year, these two teams played on the road. It was an ugly game, and Tennessee gets them at home. Tennessee, after the Kentucky loss, won twice this week, beating Mississippi State and LSU. Fairly comfortable fashion in both. Zakai Ziegler, especially the Mississippi State game, goes off. Tennessee's got the number one defense still in college basketball. Texas still playing well, despite all the issues surrounding them. I, I These two teams, you hear the term oil and water, but these two teams are oil because they both are going to play physical, defensive, slugfest-type games. If you're going just offensive bound, I think Texas got more options than Tennessee. But Thompson Bowling Arena, I think, is going to be the difference. Tennessee has tremendous size. They're going to beat you up. And can Texas's backcourt handle the pressure that Tennessee will bring? I think this will be a good game. Ken Palm has it in favor of the Vols 72-64. I hate agreeing with Ken Palm exactly because it seems lazy, but I feel like that's almost a perfect scoreline. I think Tennessee wins this game 72-64. I'll go exactly with Ken Palm because I think that's about the perfect score for this game. Yeah, uh, I think Tennessee wins this one. The thing is about Tennessee, and I wish Phil was here so I can give him his flowers because he called it about a week ago, a couple weeks ago. They do got the number one defensive team, uh, according to Ken Palm, and defensive efficiency, but they ranked like 32 in offense, and the offense just isn't that great. You mentioned the Mississippi State game. Um, especially early on in the first half, the score was like 23 to 21 going into the second half. They just can't really, they go in these drafts where they just can't score the ball. They're not the greatest from the three-point line. They shoot 34% from the three-point line, which ain't bad, but I think they're going to be able to have to hit some shots. I like Texas's backcourt better than Tennessee's. Uh, I think I favor them in the backcourt with guys like Marcus Carr and Tyrese Hunter. Um, but I think Tennessee's front court is better, and I think that's going to be a difference maker. Tennessee's going to beat them up. You want to hear us? Tennessee gets the job done. Go ahead. You want to hear a stat line here? Because you know I love the three point line as far as stats go. Tennessee's number one in the nation. Teams are only shooting twenty one percent from three. Texas, as a team, is shooting thirty two point five. So three point line could be huge in this if Texas can get a few off and go in. It could obviously play in their favor, but. Tennessee just guards the three-point line so well. Yeah, man. It's going to be a, hopefully a good game at least. Um, I think defensively, Tennessee just takes the cupcake. I think overall, um, you know, I think I'm not completely sold on where Texas is as a team. I think, you know, I think you kind of mentioned also the overall shooting ability. Uh, game of runs and uh, is going to be the uh, the tale of this one. I think I just don't know if, if Texas has what it takes to answer back every single punch um, that Tennessee's going to throw at them, especially on the defensive end. Um, I think uh, I think Tennessee wins this one. I think it's going to be even a little bit lower scoring than what you went with, Josh. I think it's going to be a 64-58 uh, game. And then let's go to the, for us, the highlight of it. In theory, rankings-wise, it's going to be Texas-Tennessee is going to be the highlight. But for us, the, the highlight is going to be in referee in a Saturday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern time. It's going to be Kansas coming in for the return game against Kentucky. We know what happened last year in the challenge. Kentucky went into Kansas put a whooping on them. Kentucky is playing better. Kansas is starting to slide a little bit on a two-game skid here. We talked about the Baylor game, potential three-game slide. Peyton? 
with Kentucky playing better and running this offense with that lineup, that is the most efficient lineup in college basketball since 2019, 2020 season and Kansas's lack of front court. The big thing for me is how will Kansas defend Oscar Sheeblet? Because KJ Adams is their one out and out true big that can sort of handle him. Cause Zach Clemens may play in this game. He might have to, but you're putting an inexperienced guy against Oscar and that's not a good matchup. How will Kansas defend Oscar and keep him off the glass is number one. But on the Kentucky side of things, with Kansas being small, we've seen what small teams have done to Kentucky, spreading them out. How does Kentucky defend small? So on those two points, I want to hear your thoughts on them. Oh, fuck me. Um Eddie Lampkin in the TCU game ate fucking on lunch. Um, he got all he wanted down low, and Oscar Sheeway's definitely um, has, I think he's more skilled than Lampkin, and he just plays harder than he does, and he's also bigger as well. Uh, KJ Adams, he's probably going to have, a, he's probably going to be in foul trouble again. We'll probably have to bring in guys like Zach Clemens coming off the bench. Uh, we'll have to probably put it on Edge of Four and whoever else. It's, I hope, I hope Sheeway has one of these games where. He de- definitely. I don't. I don't want him to. I. You know. What, I. I rather him have a game where he did against Georgia, where he just goes off, but we shut everyone else down. Um, I rather have. A, I, yeah. I rather have a game where he just goes for thirty and twenty, but we shut everyone else down. Reeves goes like two of ten from the field. C.J. Frederick goes from like one of seven from the field. Kaysom Wallace has a couple turnovers. That would be great for me. Dewan Harris. I think. I think Dewan Harris and Kaysom Wallace sort of equal each other out. Take them out of the equation. Jalen Wilson is probably going to be the best player on the floor. You can argue Oscar Shibley, but I think Jalen Wilson offensively and defensively is just better than Oscar Shibley. Um, so I think he'll be the best player on the floor. Grady Dick. He's going to have to have a big game. He's going to have to have a – he's, he's got to have a big game in this game. He's got to outscore Antonio Reeves and C.J. Frederick from the three-point line. He's yep. got to shoot better than both of them combined. He's Completely got to. agree. Because if he doesn't, then I think Kentucky wins this game. And I still think Kentucky might win this game. I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I'm putting that out. No, it, like, no. If Kansas wins this game, I don't Kentucky think it's going to be. Kentucky don't play blowouts. <laughs> they yeah, don't, don't play blowouts. Yeah, Neither is Kansas. Yeah, I don't think Kentucky's going to blow us out. I don't think Kansas is going to blow Kentucky. I think it's going to be a close game. And it's going to come down to a final possession, too. And the thing is... Even though you, it's hard to say that what happened to Kansas State, but if it comes down to a possession or two where we need a bucket, we need to put the ball in someone's hands, I trust Juan Harris to make the right decision and give the ball. Either make a shot himself or find someone like Jalen Wilson or Kevin McCuller open. I, I'm trying to take my bias out of this, but I think Kansas wins this game 72-70. to 70. Well, you're almost right as far as Ken Palm because they have Kansas winning 72-71. Here's a couple things to keep in mind. Again, back to the three-point line. Kansas gives up, you know, teams are uh, teams are only shooting like 32% from three against Kansas. Kentucky's shooting almost 37% as a team. So something's going to have to give there. The one area I really think Kansas can exploit Kentucky besides pick and roll defense with Oscar is beating Kentucky's bigs down the floor. Even in Texas A&M yesterday. Kentucky went up like six, eight points. A&M got back into it multiple possessions in a row because Lance Ware and Oscar Sheboy did not sprint back, and uh, Julius Marble was able to run the floor. Kentucky bigs have to get back in transition. If Kansas wants to steal a couple easy eight, ten points in this game, have your bigs like K.J. Adams or just somebody 
in that four or five spot, sprint down the floor and beat Kentucky's bigs to get easy transition layups because Kentucky does not rotate back and sprint back all the time that they need to. So you can do that. Bill Self has shown over the years that he did it last year. It's Kentucky to try to make a comeback. He'll go triangle in two. Now, will he go triangle in two on Reeves and Frederick or who will it be? He'll throw something zone triangle two box and one out there if somebody gets hot from Kentucky. Um, I think Kansas, I don't know, maybe double team Oscar, make him make it be a passer. Here's a key, and I'm gonna sound crazy for this. I think this is a game that Xavier Wheeler can come in and change the game because I think that Dewan Harris is gonna put a lot of ball pressure on Kason Wallace, and Kason's going to have to make sound decisions so you can maybe get them rattled in the offense. But a guy like Savvy Wheeler can, especially if Dewan's out breathing and Wheeler comes in with that second unit, his speed can change this game and get Kentucky in the open floor. If he plays under control, I think he could be a huge difference maker and have like one of those really good games where he has like six points, 11 assists, a steal or two type ball game. This is going, if you, you would have told me, Corey, two weeks ago that Kentucky let alone not get 30 two weeks ago, then I would be like, oh, hell yeah. But let alone having a chance to actually win this thing? Let me put it like this, Corey, before I get your prediction. If Kentucky wins this, let's say they win Tuesday at Vandy, they win this game, that puts them on a uh, five-game win streak. Then are you a believer in Kentucky being back on the right track? Yes, yeah, so if they win both of these games, I'll, I'll be the first one to say that I'll start to believe that Kentucky's turned the corner and is starting to starting to get on the roll that they need, need to get on to be uh, on the right track of things. All right, now let's hear your prediction. I, I kind of gave some keys to the game from my perspective, but I want to hear yours. Yeah, I think, you know, I kind of touched on it earlier. I think the biggest thing is, is – you know, how how well does uh, Coach Cow stay with that lineup that, you know, has turned into being one of the most efficient? Uh, does he get in the way? Um, and, you know, do they continue holding that same, you know, the, the same efficiency? I think uh, I think the biggest question is going to be is what kind of what kind of offense does uh, Kansas have? Do they defend? Um, you know, I think you guys kind of touched on it a little bit. I think the biggest thing is, is just Kansas show, you know, getting up and down the floor and running out and trying to, you know, really turn it into a sprinting game and, and wear out Oscar and wear out, uh, you know, everybody, or, uh, my mind just went blank. Uh, help me out, Josh. Uh, for, for big Kansas? Kentucky. Oh, Sheboy? Other than Oscar. Well, Lance where? Uh, yeah, where? You know, do I don't know how I forgot where. Uh, but you know, do they just absolutely wear uh, wear them out and you know turn it into a sprinting game and you know kind of do what Texas A and M did when they kind of close things in? Um, you know, I, I'm still I'm still going to take Kansas in this game. I think Kansas comes in. I think Kansas goes two and zero on the week, and. Uh, I think they are going to take the game 81 to uh, 76. You know, Josh, I, I think this, give us – go ahead. Josh, Peyton. I think this game's going to come down to who guards who. What's the matchup's going to be like? We know Kaysen's going to go – we know Kaysen and Dwan Harris is going to guard each other. We know Sheboy and KJ Adams are probably going to match up. Who guards Wilson? Is it Toppin? Who guards McCullough? Is it Livingston? Is probably. it Frederick? Like, uh-uh. Who guards who? 
honestly, and, and you could go, you know, pros and cons. I, I do think top end for a large part is going to be on Jalen. And then you'll see a guy like Reeves or Frederick match up on him and switches, maybe even Kaysan. Maybe, honestly, I think Kaysan Wallace goes on him because I don't think Kaysan's going to have to worry too much about Dwan. I, I think you put Antonio Reeves or CJ Frederick on him if he's not going to be a scorer. And I, but I do think Toppin will be on him for large stretches, which is going to be interesting to see how Wilson. So if you go that matchup, Wilson has a, a speed advantage, you would think. But yeah. can he defend or can he do it against a six nine agile dude and Toppin? It's going to be really interesting. Um, what happens if Frederick and Reeves have this game where they're both hitting? How does Kansas defend that? What if Kansas has a game where Dick and uh, Harris and Wilson, their backcourt's hitting? How does Kentucky defend that? I think this is a very interesting matchup. But what I was getting ready to say is you notice I didn't give a prediction, which, lead, which leads me into bank on it. Again, you told me two weeks ago that Kentucky even has a chance at this game. I wouldn't have bullied you. But as we sit here, I do feel like they're starting to turn the corner. So my bank on it, Cats take down Jayhawks for a second time in a row. Oh, and by the way, score, I forgot to give a score. Uh, it's going to be tight all the way through, maybe like 25 lead changes. Um, I, I'm going to say score, Kentucky wins 84-82. Okay, well, now I'm more confident that Kansas wins this game because when we bank on our teams winning, it doesn't always <laughs> – I don't think we've got one right when we fucking bank on our teams winning. So now I'm, I'm a lot more confident. I'm a lot less nervous now that Kansas gets his job done. But I think it's going to come down to bench play. Which bench produces more? Is it Kansas? Is a guy like Bobby Pettiford coming off the bench? Maybe this is a game where Jordan Yesfu starts to hit some shots like he did at Drake. Um, or if, like, Xavier Wheeler, like you mentioned, he comes off the bench. He takes care of the ball. He defends well. Um, he hits some shots himself. Like, who's going to be the Keon Brooks of this game? Who's going to come out here and have a clear night the way they just go fucking ballistic like Keon Brooks did last year to Kansas? He was the big... Oscar played well in that game last year, but Kentucky doesn't win that game without Keon Brooks. He had like almost all. 30, I think. He might actually have 30. But yeah. So who's going to have the Keon Brooks type game? It's going to be interesting, and I'm ready to go Saturday night, but Kansas has to get through. Both of us has to get through games before this. you got Vandy two days in, two, two has, Tuesday night at Vandy, the tough one. We got at Baylor on Monday night. We both, hopefully both win those games, and we can come in there and be a huge clash, Blue Bloods, and hopefully we can gain, uh, gain backs. I think you guys are no, like five six or six back, back five now, yeah. back, something like that. So hopefully we can get yep. a game on the all-time wins list. Um, but let's go to bank on it real quick. You, I I gave mine. Let me hear your guys' real quick. Oh, shit. Corey, go ahead. All right. I'm banking on it. Uh, I actually got, I have two this week. Uh, bank on it. Kansas goes 2-0 and this week. And then my big bank on it is Purdue gets their second loss of the year Thursday night uh, against Michigan. I think Michigan uh, steals the steals the thunder Thursday night. It's going to be fun to see how Dickinson matches up with this version of Zach Eady. It's going to be a lot Absolutely. of fun. That's what I'm excited for. So especially if he's a little bit leaner, he's a little bit more mobile than what he was in years past. Eady's obviously just really good. So I'm excited for it. I mean, I'll take the bank Jason on it. The Michigan wins it. Jace Howard needs to have a big, big performance in that game. He needs to have yes. a big time one. Peyton, you got your bank on it? Yes, sir. I had to let Corey first because I kind of forgot my bank on it, but I got it now. Um, Saturday morning, 
Uh, noon tip off, uh, 12-15 tip off. It's close enough, damn it. On CBS, Josh, we just watched this team play Tuesday night. A Big East clash. Clayton takes down number eight ranked Xavier. Clayton's starting to play well. Cockbringer's back. That matchup between Cockbringer and Jack Nunge is going to be very interesting. Let's see who comes on top of that. But I think Clayton's backcourt. I think Nimhard's going to have a great game. And uh, big fan of this Clayton team. I think they can get it done. And they're going to need to start winning games like these if they want to uh, get into the tournament this year. Because right now, I think they're one of like, the first four teams out. Um, Got to win this game. I think they will. Clayton goes in. It's, on a, it's a home game for them. Knocks off a top 10 team in Xavier. Bank on it. Team of the week this last week. I mean, we went K-State. Two two good wins. The Kansas win. And then they end up beating um, Texas Tech yesterday. K-State team of the week. And the mid-major team of the week. I watched them Friday night. First time in about a month. But uh, Kent State's the real deal in the MAC, man. Sincere carry. They, they've got dudes. They beat up uh, Ball State, who was second in the MAC at the time. Just absolutely destroyed them. They have the uh, one of the ugliest court designs, though, with the stupid lightning bolt, like going through the key. And but Kent State's our mid-major team of the week. I think they could be a team that could win a tournament game in the NCAA tournament this year. They're that good. I think they're sitting here at like fifteen and three, sixteen and three, something like that they've on the won, year. So. They've won ten in a row, which is the third longest active win streak in the country. Yep. So. Team of the week is uh, Kansas State, and mid-major team of the week is Kent State. Let's round this thing out. Let's get to our shout-outs of the week. I'm going to go two right now, and that is Armando Baycott, 23 points, 18 rebounds in the win over rival North Carolina State yesterday, and in the process became North Carolina's all-time rebounding uh, leader. End up um, passing Tyler Hansborough's record. Hansborough was there to give, you know, congratulate him, shake his hand, do all that whole ceremony. So congratulations, Armando Baycott, on that record. And then Shaka Smart, dude. Marquette is legit this year. May end up winning the Big East outright. And if they can catch up to Xavier, Marquette is looking like a top four seeded type team in the NCAA tournament this year. Shaka Smart's career has been revised. So seen in five. They, like I said, they got the number one offense in America right now. We know Shaka is defensive-minded. They're 74th defense, but the number one offense in college basketball is the Marquette Golden Eagles. They don't play again until next Saturday. They've got the whole week off the rest. It, it's going to be really interesting. They get the return game against Xavier on February 15th. Marquette and Shaka Smart, shout out to you guys because you're having a tremendous season so far. Those are my two. Well, I did have three, but the first one, Amanda Bacat, that was going to be mine as well, so we can double up on that, yeah. Big accomplishment for him, beating uh, Tyler Hansbrough's record. It's cool to see him in the building. Will Williams was there as well uh, to see him accomplish Roy's there every game. Roy's yeah, at every game. Uh, he's at, yeah, he's at every fucking game, North Carolina, Kansas. He didn't retire. Fucking... He's just now a fan. Yeah, he's a, he's a fan of the game, just like we all are, and I lo love to see it. Uh, too bad Coach K's at home, probably not even going to show up to any fucking Duke game at yeah. all. Um, he's, probably, he's probably still pissed at Shia for taking all of his fucking awards away and shit. So, <laughs> um, I got two, well, that was one of my shout-outs. I'm on the big cat, I agree with you in there. I got two more after that. Let's go to Jerome Tang from Kansas State. Um 100% the right hire. I think he's going to take Kansas State to heights that they probably haven't been since fucking 
since I was fucking born. Uh, Kansas State, they're getting the job done. Big time win against Kansas in a rivalry game. Um, and I, I have a lot of respect for him. Before the game, he, he admitted that Kansas State fans uh, live, or Kansas had, lives Whitfield and Kansas State fans' uh, heads. Um, he's honest about that. And the fact that he said that you can rush the four now, but don't do it again because we, now we're going to expect a win. I love to hear that. And um, big shout-out to him. Shout-out to another team. Uh, shout-out to TCU. Fucking hell, I'm shouting out teams that beat Kansas. I don't know why I'm doing this. I just <laughs> not thought about this. Um, but shout-out TCU because we got to mention it was the first time ever beating Kansas in Allen Fieldhouse. They were 0-12, 0-11 or some bullshit like that. Um, it's the first time beating Kansas at Allen Fieldhouse. It's a tough it's a tough place to play at, but they got a job. They got the job done. Shout out to him. Final shout out goes to Iowa Mayor Mount for knocking off Gonzaga on the road, ending their fucking seventieth fucking win streak that they've played. I don't have many win streak they had. Seventy six, I think. Seventy six. Seventy six. Thank you. Yeah. Um, shout out to them. Big time win and. Uh, it's my three shout-outs, I guess. Four. By the way, Corey, before you get to yours real quick, uh, the all-time record, and I don't know if this will ever be broken. Gonzaga was obviously the closest. The all-time home win record is uh, Adolph Rupp's Kentucky teams from, I think it stretched like 10 years from like the 1940s to the 1950s, 129 games in a row. Never be broken. Yeah. But, all right, so uh, my sh- uh, hopefully get a little laugh out of this. The, uh, the good old Indiana fan that decided to write a great letter over to Trace Jackson Davis because ever since that letter, uh, Jackson Davis has uh, absolutely been lights out. I mean, the performance he put against Illinois, the performance he's putting today, I mean, 35 points against a, a Big Ten opponent. Uh, he's put on, I think, He's almost averaging a double double since the. Uh, I think he's at nine point nine rebounds, so you might as well call it a double double. Um, but ever since then, it's absolutely just lit a fire under him. Uh, shout out to uh, Peyton already said it, but Loyola Marymount uh, for ending the Gonzaga streak. Um, and then shout out to Peyton just because you know Kansas takes a couple losses, he still shows up wearing his Kansas gear. And uh, he also has the uh, he has the line of the show. I'm pretty sure of uh, my Kansas uh, and our Kansas. So uh, maybe the line ever it, since we've yeah. been doing this the last five yeah. years. Yeah. So that's my uh, my shout out that you know even after a couple big losses, uh, you know he still shows up wearing his gear. The Louisville stuff has been retired, but you know the Kansas stuff is still hanging around. So you know shout out to him that you know after <laughs> after another week that his teams don't win a game, he still shows up. We're going to have to get that on a t-shirt, figure out how to get my Kansas out, um, our Kansas type t-shirt. We're going to have to get with Will over at the House Enterprise and House College Troops to get that done. But guys, another good show. Lot to pack in there. Um, Phil's taking a little hiatus. If those who are wondering, we didn't mention the top of the show. Um, He just needs a little recovery time. And hopefully we'll get him back on by tournament time. But if not, we'll keep the show moving and rolling as is. Uh, you guys know how we do. We'll bring you the best in college basketball entertainment, obviously, information, and everything in between. I hope you guys enjoyed episode 131 of the podcast. Reminder, or sorry, special announcement real quick. Peyton and I have been discussing. Keep an eye out. We are probably going to, for the remainder of the year, going to double up on episodes. 
So we will let you know for sure when the recording date is, but keep an eye out. We're going to try to go two episodes a week, double the pleasure, double the fun, baby. We're like the Wrigley gum. Uh, so keep an eye out on that. More Everything College Basketball podcast coming your way. But uh, wrapping up episode 131 for Phil, or sorry, not for Phil, but for Corey, for Peyton, I've been your host, Josh Burton. Hope you guys enjoy the rest of your evening, and we'll catch you on episode 132 down the road. See you guys.